let me pray and then we'll have a think about what Paul is doing there in the start of Romans. Father, we ask as we gather this afternoon, as we gather uh, every time we come together, uh, please speak to us through your word. Help us to hear your voice, to hear your call and to respond with love and obedience. Amen. Well, every, uh, every textbook on preaching, every uh, lecture that you get teaching you how to go about it tells you that you, for your introduction, you want something that's really attention-grabbing and, uh, and really gets hold of, of people so that we're all in there together. And so I thought I'd start off by talking about the weather. Uh, it, it's a bit warm, isn't it? Uh, it? Summer has finally arrived. Now, as I was growing up, uh, for me, the hottest part of summer was not the day, it was the night time. During the day, you've got, you know, the sun can be hot. You might get hot breeze to um, kind of make things a little bit sticky and unpleasant. You might get humidity. But none of those come close to how hot it gets when you spend a couple of hours reading under the covers at night. And, I mean, you can't just use a sheet because your parents can see the torchlight through the sheet. So you need to have the full doona on, and that can get pretty toasty. Uh, I liked reading from an early age. Uh, And that, at the time, was thought, oh, this is good, you know, he's going to read books, that'll be good, it'll keep him quiet. But after a while, I think I became a bit of a pain. Uh, You know, I'd read so much one night that the next morning I'd be tired and grumpy and and then the next day and so on. We once went on holidays to, I think it was Noosa, uh, and in the morning we just happened to go through a bookstore, so I bought myself a book to read on the beach. At least I think there was a beach there, there was sand and I sat and I read and I read. Presumably there was some water around but I didn't notice. And so finally in in the middle of the afternoon my parents confiscated the book. They had this idea, I don't know where it came from, that if you're going to spend money on a holiday then everyone should at least be aware of their surroundings, um, even if they're not really engaging with them, but at least be aware of them. So I had to wait until they fell asleep that night to unconfiscate the book in order to finish it off. that was, a, that was a big day for me. I think that was my record in terms of reading. It's possible uh, that you're not quite so obsessive uh, about reading. That might not be your thing. I'm sorry if I, just, you know, if I was more interested in talking about the weather than the book. But anyway, um, I think often we've had the experience of finding a, a book or a story that we just can't get enough of. Uh, it, whether, whether it's in book form or whether it's a movie that you just love and can watch over and over... Uh, Yes to the Princess Bride, no to the Sound of Music, you get the idea. Um, Or maybe for you it's not books. Maybe it's uh, like an album that you've loved since you first heard it and you could just listen to that forever. Maybe you're a Hamilton nut and you've gone to see the musical like eight times in the last two weeks. Maybe uh, it's sport. There's a particular sport that you could spend forever playing and watching. Uh, Whatever it happens to be, be, there'll be something that for you is, is just the best thing, the best thing to kind of spend time on and enjoy and, uh, and kind of sink yourself into. Well, today we're starting a series of sermons that takes us through a, a, a kind of experiment of looking at Jesus from different angles and seeing uh, what we pick up as we focus in on particular aspects of who he is. That is, our focus is not going to be on a book that eventually ends or music that falls silent or a game that finishes with the final whistle. Instead, we're looking at a person who commands our gaze. We're focusing on Jesus, the most compelling man who ever lived, the Christ who commands our attention, 
And this afternoon, uh, the question for us is, how does he catch our attention? How does he take us from spiritually dead, uh, insensitive God-haters, and then turn our eyes to look at him? Well, we're, we're looking at Romans because Paul, in a sense, reveals how he thinks that works in these opening verses. Now, uh, a little bit of context. Paul is, uh, he's never met the Romans. He's writing to a, a bunch of strangers. Uh, and this is a little bit of an introduction for, for him to them. He's planning on travelling to Rome and through Rome to beyond. Uh, and, you know, when you're planning on crashing on someone's couch, it's nice to meet them first. So that's what he's doing. He's writing and saying, hey, this is me. I'm, you know, a reliable, trustworthy guy. Uh, I'll be around shortly. You'd expect then, if that's what he's trying to do, trying to kind of win friends and influence people, uh, that he'd go straight to his trump card and talk about Jesus uh, to, to maximise his in with the Romans. But look at how he, does, uh, how he starts this letter off. It, it, it seems like he's going to plan. Uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and the Romans are thinking, that's great because Jesus is the guy we're interested in, so do go on, uh, called to be an apostle, oh, excellent not only do you serve Jesus but you've actually been kind of called in to to tell people about him that sounds good set apart for and this is where the wheels might fall off their expectations set apart for the gospel of God what's where's the set, up, set apart for Jesus bit and then before you know it Paul is off and running talking about the gospel and it just kind of keeps coming at you uh, uh, you know it's the gospel that he promised beforehand uh, through his prophets in the scriptures about his son uh, descendant of David appointed son of God resurrection from the dead it just keeps coming and coming and coming it's all very wordy and convoluted and let's be honest there are lots that you could say instead about Jesus to, to warm these Romans up you know you could recount tales of some of the things that Jesus said that are really interesting or you could um, you know, talk about some of his miracles. Uh, Paul might even say that he's got a, a message from Jesus directly to the Romans, like, you know, special delivery. But what he goes with seems a little bit dry, to be honest. It's, it's a bit textbooky. It doesn't look like Paul's working with his strongest material. It's just words and, and lots of them. But for Paul, this is the story you can't put down. All these details about the gospel, he values them. As soon as he introduces the gospel into his sentence, it's like blah, everything comes out of him. He wants to throw in all these different bits and pieces because they all matter. As soon as he's onto the gospel, he's, it's like a one-track mind. That's all he wants to talk about. He's expanding on it and explaining it uh, and has him finished the sentence. It's amazing. And his reason is he's convinced that the gospel just works it does stuff it it makes people respond this gospel is what paul says he was set aside for through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the gentiles he was sent out with this message to the whole world to call people to follow jesus it's a, a gospel that demands a response you can't just kind of go oh that's very interesting i'll just put that aside and have a look at it later we might expect there'd be more stories about Jesus, but Paul is more than content to focus on the gospel. And if you read all the way through Romans, he doesn't change tack. 
It's not like he gets to a certain point and then goes, oh, but I've got some great stories to tell you. It's all the way through. There's very little in the way of stories about Jesus. And there's bucket loads of stuff about what the gospel is and what it means to live in obedience to it. Uh, If we look down the page a little bit further, in verse 9, notice, he says, God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son. Paul's basically saying, this is my job. I'm, I'm a gospel preacher. I'm not a Jesus storyteller, though he knows some, but his task is to deliver this gospel message wherever he goes. And so, verse 15 that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. You know, I've ticked off a few places on my bucket list, I'm up to you. Everywhere he goes, he, he wants to talk about the gospel. That's the thing that floats his boat and gets him excited. In verse 16, he says he's not ashamed about this. He's not apologetic. Oh, look, sorry guys, um, Jesus wanted me just to pass on this message. We'll get on to the good stuff in a bit, but first I've just got to say this and get it out of the way. It's not like that at all. Preaching the gospel is a joy to him because it's the power of God for salvation. It reveals a righteousness from God that can rescue uh, lost men and women from, from lives of darkness and bring them into God's kingdom. This is really good news for us because that's what we've got here in our Bibles. We've got a whole bunch of words that tell us the gospel. Uh, after the last couple of years, we know it's sometimes tricky it's to, to travel, to get across borders, you know, interstate, hopping on a plane. You know, it, it was expensive, but now it's near impossible. But even if we did, we still can't hop on a plane and go and, uh, and sort of drop in on Jesus and ask him a few questions. Introduce ourselves, hi Jesus, big fan. <coughs> we can't do that because he's ascended to heaven. We don't have the opportunities that someone in the first century might have had where they could go sit on a mountainside and listen to Jesus preach or sort of hang around in the right small towns in Galilee and you might catch a miracle or two. We can't even track down an eyewitness and ask their version of events. We often wish, gee, it'd be really nice to see Jesus kind of face to face. I mean, I wonder what he looks like. What's his voice like? Uh, what, what kind of things does he smile at? Uh, what jokes does he tell? Uh, what does he think about me, like particularly? Wouldn't it be great just to, to get to know Jesus a little bit, like, you know, in the room, so to speak? We can feel like maybe we've missed out a little bit by being born a couple of millennia late. Well, Paul is saying here, it doesn't matter. The gospel's enough. Whether you live you know, on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea from where Jesus was or on the other side of 2,000 years, doesn't matter. We meet Jesus clothed in the word. Through the scriptures, we, we encounter him. Now, Paul, uh, you know, if, in terms of face-to-face Jesus moments, he's got a beauty. He's got that one on the Damascus Road uh, and he barely mentions it. I mean, this was his kind of Jesus moment. Uh, there he is travelling to Damascus, trying to uh, oppress the people who follow Jesus, trying to extinguish all memory of Jesus' name. And then Jesus himself takes the trouble to come down and straighten him out and call him into service. I mean, what a day. I imagine he's thought about it more than once afterwards. It, it, would, have, it would be the kind of thing that you would never put out of your mind. It's 
that moment that we kind of wish we could all have with, with Jesus right there with us, with, with me. And yet Paul doesn't give it any attention, does he? It's not here in our passage, but it's hardly referenced at all in anything he writes. He just kind of leaves it to one side. We only know about it really because Luke wrote about it in the book of Acts. If all we had was Paul, we wouldn't have a clue about it. From Paul's point of view, that big exciting moment, that's nothing compared to the testimony of God in his word. And so it's good for us, you know, that that's the case because we have his word, access to it, ready access to it. But it's also good for us for another reason. Because it teaches us to trust. That's how words work. As you've been sitting there listening, you've been trusting me to have used the words that get across the ideas I wanted to get across, that I've picked, you know, the right kind of lines to go down to explain things. You've had to trust that I'm not just making random noises here. That's how it is when we talk to people. The, The speaker communicates to the hearer and in that way reveals some of themselves and that's what God is doing that's what he's doing by using words words uh, mediate to us the fact that God comes to us clothed in his word is good because it means right from the first go right from when we first encounter him we're being called on and taught to trust to believe that he's telling us the truth and that he's inviting us to hear him and understand. Paul's pretty conscious of this. You know, in verse 5, he talks about how his job is to call. That's a verbal thing. Uh, He doesn't kind of turn up in Rome and just give people a nudge and hope they go, oh, what must I do to be saved? He, He speaks a message and calls for a response. And our job, just like theirs, is to hear that call and believe it and obey That's what's going on in uh, verse 5. He's there to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. He calls them, they have faith in in the message he tells them, and then obey it. It's for all the Gentiles. There's no exceptions there. That's what it is to interact with the gospel and to hear it. Jesus coming to us clothed in words is a good thing. Good because we've got the words, and good because those words teach us how to relate to him. But maybe it still sounds a bit weak to you. Just words? You know, if all you ever had from your parents or your kids or your husband or your wife was words, and that was it, there was never any actions, never anything going on, that would start to wear a little bit thin after a while. You know, enough of the talk and talk, you know, show me what you mean. Live it out. Having just words from God might seem a little bit limp. Especially when we could have some big flaming appearance of God right down here in our midst. You know, he does it in the Old Testament a few times. It's really exciting and 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 people get really worked up about it. But imagine that God just dropping down right in the middle of our gathering tonight. We could ask him our questions. We could get an autograph, maybe take a selfie. Uh, Wouldn't that be extraordinary? I mean, you'd remember it for the next day or two for sure. It would be fantastic. And instead, all I'm saying is we get the power of words. And yet words can be incredibly powerful. Rumour has it, some people are able to make a living 
out of poetry. And look, I'm not talking about those people who write the inside of Hallmark cards, because that's not poetry, but, you know, proper poets. They write poems and print books and sell them, and that's what they live on. It's incredible. I mean, poetry is probably not my thing, but the idea that someone can get rich by just writing words down, wow. But they do it because they're good at getting those words to kind of get through our defences and, and ring our hearts and make us feel stuff. Even the ones who are bad at it can do it. You know, I can remember theme songs from sitcoms from like 40 years ago that were on repeat. I can remember jingles for products that nobody buys or sells anymore. We remember words, don't we? Whether they're, um, you know, particular songs or lines of dialogue, maybe in a few movies that you can think of. Maybe there's turns of phrase that whenever you hear that, you think of a particular person who used it all the time. And for each of us, it'll be different. But there'll be things that are lodged in our consciousness that are part of our story. Something like uh, 15 years ago, I was fresh out of Bible college and uh, we were just starting at our new church in Quakers Hill. And on the first Sunday there, I was being interviewed, you know, kind of get to know you thing. And uh, I don't remember who was, um, who was playing the role of uh, like the... Um, a hard-nosed journalist at this point, but they came up with this killer question, a real stumper. Uh, what's your favourite Bible verse? And I thought, all right, the question's dull. Let's make the answer interesting. Zephaniah 3.17. And, of course, in the congregation there was a collective, what? There's a, oh, there's a book called Zephaniah. I think I've seen it somewhere. And so I explained, Zephaniah 3.17, I like the verse because it's the only verse in the Bible that talks about God singing. And I like singing. But I really like the idea that God sings over his people for joy. That's a great verse. Now, Dave Story, who I haven't seen for a, you know, well over a decade, every time Facebook says it's my birthday, he sends me a message, Happy birthday, Mr. Zephaniah 3.17. Because he was there that morning and he heard the verse and he went and looked it up and it hit him. He felt it. It became part of his story. And so he remembers it and he says hello to me on an annual basis. That's how words can work, particularly how they can work when they've got God's spirit behind them. We think what we'd really like is the big crescendo where we're face to face with our God. But if we read our Bibles... Maybe we should think twice about that. The Israelites, when they uh, were rescued from slavery in Egypt and through the Red Sea, you know, uh, we, we just had fireworks, this was waterworks, pretty impressive. They come through to Mount Sinai uh, and they're going to meet there with God. And uh, Hebrews 12 describes what the experience was like. Let me read this. Uh, it was like they'd come to uh, a mountain that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. It was so terrifying that even Moses said he was afraid and he'd had the dress rehearsal with the burning bush and everything. Maybe we only think 
they won't be face to face with Jesus. No one actually likes drinking from a fire hose. God in his mercy comes to us through words so that we're not browbeaten into submission, we're not kind of belted around and left kind of lying in a puddle on the floor. Coming uh, to us through words, we meet him, but it's a gentler way to do it. When you think about it, Jesus wasn't the easiest party guest. He had this way of talking about uncomfortable subjects, kingdom of God, judgment to come, uh, end of the world. Like, you know, he didn't just kind of steer away from the difficult conversations. People were often terrified when they met him. In Luke chapter 5, we read about Peter meeting Jesus really early on. And Peter is in the middle of having his boat sink. He realises who Jesus is. And he falls at his knees and begs for Jesus to leave him. He's that frightened. So when Hebrews paints that ominous scene at Mount Sinai with the Israelites quivering, there's reason for it, but then Hebrews points us back to a word. It talks about the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's drawing on Jesus' death and saying, This is a word not of a brother who was slain, but a brother who gave himself for us. We're not being cheated to meet Jesus in these pages. That's ridiculous when you think about it. Oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, it was was like a second-rate encounter with the creator of the universe. You know, he, he made time to sort of pop down, and so as I was reading, I kind of got to know him a little bit. It would have been nice to have face-to-face, uh, but, you know, I suppose it's all right. Come on, the creator of the entire universe, or if comic books are right, multiverse, whatever, the creator of everything has the time to meet with each of us any time we open up his word. There's no loss for us in this. We're not missing out. We're meeting the living God. And what's more... We, The access is so free and available, we're able to hear at any time. We're taught to trust, we're moved to love and we're called into his service. Mere human words can be powerful, can shape us, can inspire us and influence our lives long after we first hear them. How much more powerful is this word from God? It's strengthened men and women over the years to face death to walk against the tide, to give their lives in thankless service day after day after day. And the reason why, why people keep doing that, it's because in his word we meet our Jesus, the Christ who is so compelling, so marvellous, so extraordinary that we never ever want to look away. We're going to keep doing that over the weeks to come, but for now let me pray. Our Father, we do thank you that not only have you saved us and brought us life, but that even as we wait to uh, receive the fullness of your kingdom, you've given us your word so that we can at any and all times hear your voice speaking to us, know your love and be uh, taught how to live as your people. May we not uh, feel like we've missed out by being born too late on the wrong side of the world. Instead, may we treasure this great gift that we have. And as we read, 
Help us to keep seeing Jesus. Keep recognising his greatness and keep loving him in response. Amen.